The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gam Podcast are now presented by Circus Sports. Circus Sports is back with their Circuit Survivor and Circuit Millions contests. $14 million up for grabs. Get all the details at circusports.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast from the Sports Gambling Podcast. Scenario is currently early Tuesday morning, July 11th, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Rochelle, once again going solo for this pod. Should be a fun episode. It's officially quarterfinal time in Wimbledon on the men's side. They'll be previewing all four matches and then talking about our lock and dog picks at the end of the show. But before we get into any of the four matches to preview, want to take care of some housekeeping. First things first, got to address the elephant in the room, why we did not record an episode for the fourth round. Pretty simple. I had a lot of traveling and I even had a couple of traveling setbacks, so I did not have the actual time needed to record an episode. I was headed to Milwaukee for a bachelor party over the weekend, which was fun. However, I was supposed to return on Sunday morning. And unfortunately, my flight got canceled because of, because of bad weather. So as a result, I had to spend an extra day in Milwaukee. But I also had to scramble to find replacement flights. I had to find a random last-second hotel to stay in. Point is, I was pretty busy. And as a result, I did not really have time to record an episode. So I planned on having an episode for the fourth round. But that did not happen. Either way, we will be back for every round of the remainder of Wimbledon. So, of course, we got the quarters, the semis, and the final. And we'll probably throw in the women's final or maybe even the women's semis in there, too. So stay tuned for a couple of extra podcasts there, maybe to make up for the episode we missed. But either way, uh, time to actually talk about the picks that we had in the previous episodes. Unfortunately, not good. In fact, Wimbledon's been pretty brutal for us uh, so far. Starting off with the episode a couple of rounds ago, we had a couple of plays that were temporarily suspended because of bad weather or because of darkness. So starting off with the lock from a couple episodes ago, lost with Andy Murray on the money line at around minus 140, minus 145 against Tsitsipas, led two sets to one, and then the match got suspended because of curfew, which is still really stupid. Anyway, Tsitsipas came back the next day, didn't get broken, and won the final two sets. Was competitive, but Murray just did not have enough in the tank to get the job done. And then we lost the dog with Manorino plus the games there. And unfortunately, Medvedev kind of, I don't want to say destroyed him, because Manorino did lose the third set in a breaker. But Manorino really was not, uh, I'd say, in good enough form to beat Medvedev. He beat him a couple of weeks ago. But Medvedev picked up his level, and unfortunately, Manorino did fall short. Then, for the last round, went 0-2 again. Uh, trying to remember what exactly the picks were. So, for the lock, we had a brutal beat. We had Golfen plus the 6.5 against Rublev. And we needed him to win three games in the final set. So, we needed him to not get broken twice. And he got broken twice. He lost the final set 6-2. Uh, Rublev covered the spread by a hook. Pretty brutal there. Still love the read for Golfen. He was a couple points away from going up two sets to one, and then he completely fell apart after that, so that's a bit of a heartbreaker. And for the dog, not close, had Musetti money line against her catch, and her catch won in straight sets. Was serving very well, and Musetti had no answers, so her catch ended up just dominating. So overall, really bad run so far at Wimbledon. Have a couple of quarter plays, which could potentially work out, so we'll see what happens. But the point is, overall, not the best tournament for us. And hopefully we'll be able to turn it around before the tournament is over. But anyway, before we get into any of the matches, do want to recap, just from takeaway perspective, some of my thoughts on the last couple of days. So first things first, I'll start off going in... I'm trying to think of the order I should do this. I guess I'm going to go back from uh, Saturday or so. And then I'll move on to... Uh, you know what, I'll start off on Friday, because I believe that was the day I actually traveled to Milwaukee, so we'll go from there. So I already mentioned Murray losing in five to Sissipas in the continuation, 
Besides that, I'm trying to think of anything else that really mattered in the grand scheme of things. You had Eubanks beating Nori. Can't say I was totally shocked on that one. Uh, Djokovic won in straight sets. Berrettini won in straight sets, which was definitely a bit of a surprise there because Diminor was uh, playing some good grass tennis leading into Wimbledon. But for the most part, not really many takeaways on Friday. Then moving into Saturday, you had the marathon between Laheshka and Paul. Laheshka ended up winning in five but we saw the physical consequences of losing the third and fourth sets as he had to retire in the last match, the match after against Medvedev because he had nothing left in the tank. Uh, Eubanks continued his run, winning in three tiebreaks against O'Connell. You had Medvedev coming back from a set down against Fuksovics. Uh, Alcaraz won a competitive match against Jari. And then you had one match, which I really want to talk about, which I'll get into in a second. But you had Dimitrov beating Tiafo. Dimitrov looked great. Classic. Dimitrov performance over the weekend because he looked really good one match and then he immediately lost the round after, which I feel like is pretty standard for Dimitrov. And you had Berrettini beating Zverev in straight sets. Berrettini looked good. Props to him. He looked really bad entering Wimbledon and he put together a pretty good run, which of course culminated in the loss to Alcaraz on Monday. But still, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Point is Berrettini beating Zverev in straight sets was impressive and he looked pretty good. But the main takeaway that I had for the last couple of days, really the overall weekend is a player that I've mentioned several times on the show being a very underrated choker. And I feel like at this point, it's not even underrated. I feel like he might just be the king of chokes. And I don't know if you want to give him a crown. I don't know if you want to give him like uh, a clown nose or what you want to do. But the new king of choking on tour has to be Davidovich Vakina. Congratulations, because I have no idea how he choked away that match against Rune, and I got to talk about it, because that match was insane, and Fuksovic, uh, not Fuksovic, sorry, uh, Fakina had a bunch of chances to put the match away. So just to set the actual stage here, uh, Fakina was up two sets to one, then he lost the fourth set to Rune, happens, and then you had absolute chaos, because Fakina ended up leading five to four, it was on serve, in the fifth set, and then it turned into an unpredictable mess. So Fakina had double match point at 1540 at the 4-5 service game for Rune. Did not convert. Okay, happens. Then he had to fight off a couple of... He fought off one break point in the service game at 5-5. He held there. Rune ended up holding, and it turned out to be 6-6, heading to a super breaker. So I already mentioned that Fakina blew two match points, but Rune was serving if you want to use that as an excuse. Anyway, so Super Breaker is first to 10. Fakina goes up 6-2 in the Super Breaker. He's up 8-5 in the Super Breaker and proceeded to completely implode, including an underhand serve at around 8-8. The underhand serve is one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen, and Fakina even addressed it after the match and basically said, I quit, which... No crap. Thank you for telling me that you quit. But I've mentioned it several times with Fakina. He had the tiebreak fiasco against Rublev a couple months ago where he choked that one. He's had a bunch of chances to win a couple big matches, which he's choked in. And this was really the cherry on top for the Grand Slam because in a Grand Slam event. Because once again, two match points and you're up 6-2 and 8-5 in the Super Breaker. And you underhand serve at 8-8. Come on, Fakina. Like, you're better than that. But for the sake of this overall award I want to give out, I want to congratulate Fakina on being the new official leader in the clubhouse, the undisputed champion of the biggest choker 
on tour. Congratulations. Of course, in order for one player to choke, you need the other player to actually step up. And Rune did a good job of battling to make sure that he put enough pressure on Fakina for Fakina to fold. But I got to at least mention it. The underhand serve at 8-8 is an all-time blunder. And I got to mention it because that was insane. But that's going to recap the Saturday matches. Then moving into the actual Sunday matches, you had overall not much drama. You had one insane match between Rublev and Bublik, where Rublev kind of followed the Laheshka playbook, where he won the first two sets, lost the third and the fourth set in a breaker, and then won the fifth set 6-4. You had that crazy shot by Rublev at 30-15, where he made that diving shot, which was the winner, when Bublik hit that crazy backhand down the line. Phenomenal shot by Rublev, uh, but at the end of the day, very fun match was a rematch of that ATP 500 final, which Rublev with uh, which Bublik won in three, and Rublev got revenge, winning in five in Wimbledon. Very fun match, a very even match, but Rublev got it done. Besides that, you had Safulin, who got the job done against Chapo, which is actually good for us, because I remember I was asked on the last show to do an updated preview of that quarter because of how crazy it got, and I know pre-tournament we had Sinner to win, but I also mentioned that Safulin had a good chance, or at least he would be the most likely in my eyes to upset Sinner. And as a result, Safulin is actually against Sinner. So no matter what happens, we win the quarter. If Safulin wins, we make a lot more money. But Sinner was our pre-tournament quarter pick. So, you know, read into that how you want. But I thought Safulin was pretty live to make a somewhat respectable run. And now he's in the quarters. And on top of that, you had the delayed match or the suspended match between Djokovic and her catch, which Djokovic ended up winning the first two sets in tie breaks. Brutal choke jobs by her catch in those tie breaks. Uh, her catch could not hit a really just a stroke the entire match. His serve was just so good that it kind of worked itself out. But her catch was serving for the first set tie break. I believe he was up 6-3 in the first set tie break and lost five straight points. And then Djokovic won the second set tie break again. I believe he was down a mini break two in that one. Hercatch did end up breaking at 5-6 to uh, win the third set. And then Djokovic lost a total of one point. One point on serve in the entire fourth set, which kind of sums up how bad Hercatch actually is at returning. But Djokovic won every point on serve besides one. And that was a 40-15 game at 2-3. Uh, besides that, though, Hercatch did not win a single other point returning so yeah that tells you how bad he was in that fourth set either way Djokovic eventually broke and got through and now he's into the quarters once again at Wimbledon I've uh, Sinner also beat Golan in straight sets not much to add there because you kind of figured Sinner was going to destroy him and Golan ended up really just running out of gas in the late stages of the second set and then Sinner took over so besides that though that gets us into the action for Monday. So I mentioned Leshika kind of burning his entire stamina in that Paul match, retired after two sets as Medvedev was up 2-0. You had Eubanks with a very nice win as the American Cinderella story continues to roll as he was able to beat Tsitsipas in his five-set thriller. He was down two sets to one, came back, the forehand was good, the serving was good, and Eubanks got the job done. You had Rune beating Dimitrov, coming back from a set down to win that one in four. Rune looked very good. Dimitrov was fine, but I thought Rune was better, and he played the tie breaks better. And that was the story of the match. And then you had the final match of the day, which was Alcaraz against Berrettini, where Alcaraz came back from a set down, and he ended up beating Berrettini in four. 
No real shame to Berrettini once again making the round of 16, despite playing like garbage for a couple of months. Having said that, the issues with Berrettini still plague him. He served well, but Alcaraz did return pretty well, keeping balls in play. But the backhand for Berrettini is still an absolute mess. The unforced errors are still bad, and you saw Alcaraz really just exploit him throughout the entire match. He was only broken one time in the entire match. Berrettini was broken four times. He did fight off uh, 12 break points. So Alcaraz was constantly up above 15, 15, 30 in a lot of Berrettini's games. And Berrettini held a decent amount. But the point is, when you're looking at the unforced errors, Berrettini's overall court coverage, not great with the foot speed. And on top of the backhand is still a train wreck. And Alcaraz was able to wear him down. So props to Alcaraz who became a randomly good grass player in the middle of grass season at Queens Club this year. Of course, with his talent, he can be good on any surface because he's one of the most talented players on tour, but he has looked very good, and he's beating, he's beating some quality grass players. So now you have a couple of fun matches where you have Medvedev taking on Eubanks and you have Rune taking on Alcaraz. But anyway, it's going to kind of wrap it up for the actual recap. The main thing I wanted to mention was the Fakina choke job against Rune, which I felt like needed its own little sub rant which i had to mention but anyway time to get into the actual tuesday matches which will be starting at around 9 15 a.m eastern time and you have a very very big favorite you have sinner taking on safulan and sinner has actually been bet down a little bit he opened up at around minus 700 now he's down to minus 600 safulan's around plus 450 as for the game spread sinner is minus six and a half and safulan is plus six and a half the over under for games is 35 and a half if you want to take the alt lines, you can get 34.5 over at minus 135. The under is at plus 105. You can get over 3.5 sets at minus 125. The under 3.5 sets is minus 105. And if you do want to take uh, Safulin to win a set, you can get that at minus 145. Sinner to win in straight sets is plus 115. So looking at the actual path of both players, both players have looked pretty comfortable. Sinner's had uh, an extremely easy draw, so I'm not going to overreact to what Sinner's done, but I have to at least point out that he has been playing some good tennis. But you're reading off the names that he's beaten. He beat Sarundalo, JM Sarundalo, the bad one. He beat Schwartzman as well past his prime in straight sets. Did lose a set to Hallis. Hallis is pretty good, but still pretty favorable matchup there in the third round and then beat Galan in the fourth round there. As for Safulan, he went to five sets against Batista Agut, which makes this especially painful because Batista Agut was our long shot pick pre-tournament and Safulan basically stole his entire path. But he ended up beating Mutet in straight sets, beat Pella in straight sets, and beat Chapo in four so both players haven't exactly had a difficult level of competition, but I think we can agree with having to face off against Agut and facing off against Chapo. You can make the serious argument that Safulin's had the tougher path. Now, both players have faced off against each other once before. They faced off in 2022 in the ATP Cup. Sinner did win that one in straight sets on hard court, 7-6-6-3. Now, overall, I think Sinner has looked fine. The numbers against Golan are interesting because he looked like he struggled at times in that match. But it was really just converting breakpoints because Sinner, I believe, started the match 0 for 16, I think, in breakpoints, and he still won the first set via tiebreak. But Sinner in the first, in the overall match, Sinner was 3 for 20 in breakpoint chances. So he had a lot of chances to win that match via route, and instead it was a little bit more respectable in the scoreline. But Sinner eventually settled down and won the last set and a half pretty convincingly. For the sake of this matchup, though, I do think that there is some value on the over three and a half sets at minus 125. I think that Sinner's been good, 
But with, with his inability to consistently convert breakpoint chances, I do think Safulin can hang in there. And I, I think we can see Sinner potentially get off to a slow start. We've kind of seen that against Galan and against Hallis, where you're looking at Sinner kind of find his way as the match moves on. Safulin's been good, though. So I do think that, once again, you can see a competitive match. I'm not picking Safulin to win. I think Sinner's going to win. But I do think that it's kind of odd that the line has dropped pretty heavily on Sinner. And he once again opened up at around minus 700, and he's down to minus 600. I don't see many square bettors betting on Safoul and Moneyline. I just don't see that being a thing. So it does seem like sharp money is coming in on Safoul. And I guess I can understand it, because once again, he's had the tougher competition, and Sinner didn't exactly look dominant against Galan or against Hallis. But I think that Sinner's going to win at the end of the day. But I can see this going four sets. I do think, once again, the over three and a half sets of minus 125 is my lean there. Maybe the over in games instead if you prefer that angle. But I do think, once again, Safulin probably covers the plus six and a half. And I do think that you'll see this go to at least four sets. Moving on to the last match of the day on a Tuesday, you have Rublev taking on Djokovic. And Djokovic has been dominant in the head-to-head matches. So they faced off four times with, since 2021. Djokovic is 3-1. and one. The one exception was on clay in Belgrade, where Rublev won in three sets, including a rare bagel uh, there, which I believe was mid... I forgot if that was mid-COVID year or what the story was there. But the point is Rublev ended up dominating the final set. Either way, that was on clay. But Rublev, in the last two matches, has gotten buried by Djokovic. They faced off in the ATP Finals last year. Djokovic won 6-4, 6-1, and they faced off in the Australian Open, and Djokovic buried him 6-1, 6-2, 6-4. Rublev never really been known for being a great grass court player. He's been fine, and in this tournament, he's been okay. He won in straight sets against Purcell. Should have dropped the second set. Was down 5-2, but he came back and won it. Or he was down 5-3, one of the two. The point is he was kind of getting killed in the second set and then dominated from that point forward, uh, beat Karatsev in four, beat Golfen in four, and beat Bublik in five. Djokovic had a bit of a hard time there with her catch, mostly because her catch was a just serving bombs, and Djokovic just couldn't get many difficult return games in, or he couldn't get any easy return games in, because a lot of the return games were difficult because her catch was serving that well. Uh, beat Warenka in straight sets, beat Thompson in straight sets, and beat Katchin in straight sets. Djokovic still looks dominant, still looks like the favorite, and Rublev once again drops some sets to some weaker-level players, not to mention potential fatigue after having to go to five sets against Bublik, so that could be a problem as well. Djokovic, massive favorite, not a shock here, minus 1,500. Rublev around plus 850. Game spread is around minus 7 or minus 6.5, and and the over-under is at 33.5. Djokovic to win in straight sets is minus 145. Rublev to win a set is plus 115. Simply put, I... I think Djokovic wins in straight sets. I don't think Rublev's going to be that competitive. I think that the five sets are really difficult to deal with fatigue-wise than having to face off against Djokovic. Not exactly a good combo. And Djokovic is going to return pretty well, in my opinion, against Rublev because he's just thrilled. He doesn't have to see her catches serve anymore. But Djokovic has looked good, not insanely dominant. Had a couple of tie breaks in this event. Had a tie break against Kachin. Had a tie break against Warenka. Had a tiebreak against Thompson, had a tiebreak against her catch. So he has had a tiebreak in every single match, at least one in every match. And he also had a 7-5 in the uh, Thompson match, which he won. But the point is, I do think that Rublev can make one set minimum competitive. So I'm not totally sure on the actual spread here, 
because I do think that once again, you might get a tie break win for Djokovic, which really kills the spread chances. So for that reason, I think I'd rather just take the sets. I think I'd rather just take Djokovic to do what he always does, which is dominate on grass and to beat up on a guy that he usually beats up on in Rublev. Now, if you want to go for uh, the actual props here, which I am trying to find, I want to find tie breaks because I do think that the over and tie breaks might be worth a shot. Uh, so let me just quickly see if I could find it. Uh, I got to dig for a second here. Uh, can I find it? Uh, yes, I can. So the over half a tiebreaker is minus 150 in this match. I wish it was a little cheaper. I think it's probably going to cash. But once again, I really don't feel as good about it uh, with the odds. But I mentioned Djokovic has had at least one tiebreaker in every round. Rublev has had at least one tiebreaker in each of the last three rounds. And the only exception was a 7-5 set against Purcell. But I think that probably cashes. My favorite bet, though, is probably going to be Djokovic minus straight, minus uh, two and a half sets at minus 145, or take the under three and a half sets, which is the exact same bet at minus 140. In fact, you're actually getting five extra cents while also picking up the miracle draw that Rublev wins in straight sets. So those odds make no sense. I'll take the under three and a half sets there at minus 140. Now, moving on to the actual matches on Wednesday. Those are the two matches I mentioned before, where you have Medvedev taking on Eubanks, and you also have Rune taking on Alcaraz. I'm assuming that Alcaraz-Rune will be the late match, but we'll see. Either way, point is, I will start off with the Eubanks and Medvedev match. So Medvedev is a favorite of around minus 500. Eubanks is around plus 395. Over-under is at 38.5, slightly juiced to the over at minus 115. Under is minus 105. If you want to go for any other bets there, you can get Medvedev to win in straight sets at plus 150. Eubanks to win a set is minus 180. If you want the over three and a half sets, you can get that at minus 150. Four and a half sets is plus 260. But for the sake of this overall matchup, I think Eubanks is pretty live. And I do acknowledge that Medvedev, of course, is the much better player in most surfaces or on most surfaces. However, Eubanks is a very good server. And I do think that with uh, Medvedev's returning position and how far back he stands on the court, I do think Eubanks can pick up a lot of free points via the serve, and I do think that you can see a couple of breakers which Eubanks might win. Now, Eubanks has been very good so far in this event. Uh, lost the lost a set to Montero, lost a set to Nori. Nori, no shame in that, losing a set to the home country guy, but then beat O'Connell and ended up beating Sitsipas. and he has had a couple of long sets, so I can see a world where Eubanks ends up winning a breaker or two, and suddenly Mevit has an upset award. But Medvedev's looked pretty good in this event as well. He's only dropped one set, losing a set to Fuksovic, who's a pretty good grass court player. But he got revenge against Manorino, uh, won in straight sets against Leshika. But you're looking at the path, and once again, not the most difficult path. Faced off against uh, Ferry, a relative unknown uh, qualifier, I believe, or wild card. Then he beat Manorino, which I guess is a pretty good win. Beat Fuksovic in four, and beat Leshika in straight sets. And now I'm not saying Eubanks is an insane level of competition type player, but still, the point is Medvedev has had a pretty easy draw so far, and I do think Eubanks is the best grass court player that he will be facing in this event up to this point. So I do think that Eubanks is quite live to make noise, especially a plus 395. That line seems very, very high to me. I think that you're going to end up seeing a spot where Eubanks once again maybe wins the first or second set. Eventually, Medvedev might wear him down. But one, I know how bad Medvedev is in five sets. So I do know that Medvedev, if it goes to a fifth, might be screwed, historically speaking. I think Eubanks is quite live here. I, I'm not saying that he's officially going to win, 
Plus 395, though, I think is a great price. I think that he's got a pretty decent shot to win. If I had the price of myself, I'd probably have Eubanks that are like plus 250, plus 275. I think it's pretty close, but I think that Medvedev probably gets it done if I had to guess in four. I do like the over, and I think you're probably going to get there either for the three and a half sets or the over in games. You'll probably get at least one tiebreaker in there as well. Uh, so I like the over in that uh in addition to everything I said before. But once again, I think Medvedev probably wins. Would it shock me if Eubanks won? No. I think that Eubanks is good enough, and he's proven that he's good enough on grass to upset anybody with his serve, and even with the forehand combo. And I think that because of that, the value play in itself is Eubanks' uh, Eubanks money line at plus 400. I'm not sure if it's going to work out, but he might be able to live bet midway through. As for the over and tie breaks, over half a tiebreaker in the match is minus 350 on bet 365. So simply put, give me the over. I think you'll see a bit of a marathon match here. And I do think, once again, even if you end up taking the over 37 and a half games, you could, in theory, still cash that without even having four sets if you get a bunch of breakers, which I think is pretty realistic, honestly. We saw that with the O'Connell match and how Eubanks went to three tie breaks and he won that. I think you can see something similar. I think you probably see four sets, but I do like the overall uh, prospect of a lot of games and a couple of extra sets in this match. Give me the overs in that entire uh, matchup between Eubanks and Medvedev. And I will lean to Eubanks plus the games. I think that you will see it a couple breakers, which hopefully Medvedev wins. And as a result, that will definitely make Eubanks covering a lot easier. And then you have the most anticipated matchup, which should be the first of many in Grand Slams. You have Rune taking on Alcaraz, and Alcaraz is a pretty big favorite. Around minus 398 on the money line. Rune is around plus 318. As for the games, Alcaraz is minus 5.5 and, and minus 104. Rune is plus 5.5 and, and minus 116. Over-under is around 37.5, minus 110 on each side. You can also get uh, some alternative lines once again, like 38 and a half at like basically even money and 36 and a half at a juice price. But the point is they're expecting a bit of a closer match here. And for the sake of this overall matchup, I do want to mention the head to head matches between these players and overall, not much to go by in the head to head. They have faced off twice and they have split. So they faced off in 2021 and Alcaraz won in the next gen finals. Uh, that was best of five uh, for sets. But each set was to four games, which Alcaraz won in straight sets. And they faced off in Paris last year. Rune won the first set 6-3, went to a breaker in the second set, and Alcaraz had to quit midway through the breaker because he got injured. So Rune is the most recent winner, and you can make an argument that he's alive to win this. Having said that, I do think Alcaraz has looked a lot better on grass, and I think because of that, I think Alcaraz probably wins. He looked good against Berrettini. And even though he did drop a set, Berrettini was serving pretty well in terms of first serve percentage. And Alcaraz still had a bunch of chances against against uh, Berrettini service games. So I like him in his recent form. Looked good against Berrettini. Looked good against Jari. Two big servers. Looked good against uh, Mueller and against Charlie in the first two rounds. As for Rune, he's looked pretty good as well. Beat a relative unknown the first round. Beat Baina in the second round had the war against uh, Fakina, where he came back and won that one in five, and then had a competitive match against Dimitrov, which he won in four. 
and he came back from a set down in that one. Now, I think Alcaraz, once again, is going to win. I just think that he's a better player. He's got a better serve, and I do think that Rune's serve will let him down over the course of this matchup, not to mention the potential uh, fatigue that Rune is going to have to deal with having a five-set marathon into a four-set marathon. And Dimitrov, we know with his slicing game, tends to play a lot of long points. Rune was on the court for three hours and 21 minutes, so I think fatigue could definitely play a factor in this matchup with no days. Uh, sorry, with there is a day off in between, so that might help out. But I do think, once again, when you're looking at the matchup itself, I think Alcaraz is going to win. Uh, I think if you want to look for some value here, I would consider Alcaraz minus one and a half sets. Uh, I think Rune, once again, might force a breaker, but Alcaraz, I just think, is the much more talented player. And Rune, once again, I acknowledge how good he is, but he didn't look as sharp against Fakina and against Dimitrov as I would have liked. So I think that Alcaraz probably beats him. But if you want to go by sets, I'm just quickly trying to see uh, what I can get for a set spread. Uh, just for reference here, Alcaraz to win in straight sets is around plus 140, give or take. So I do think when you're looking at about plus 150, actually. I think if you want to look for a play on Alcaraz, I would not mind minus one and a half sets in that match. I think Rune might win a set. Maybe he doesn't. But I do think that Alcaraz, once again, is the much better player. And that's going to be on full display throughout this three to five set match. So for me, give me Alcaraz to win. I'm not picking many upsets in this section or in this overall round. If I had to pick one upset, it probably would be Eubanks over Medvedev. I just think that Medvedev, despite how good he's been in this event, could be susceptible to losing a couple of tie breaks if Eubanks' serve and volley game is on. And he's a pretty underrated volleyer, which definitely helps out. But for the sake of this overall uh, matchup between Alcaraz and Rune, Alcaraz minus one and a half sets is around minus 180. So not much value there. Really not much I fully like in that match. I just think that Alcaraz is going to win, should be competitive, but I think Rune is eventually going to uh, mentally self-destruct. And we know Alcaraz is very good with his mental toughness. Rune, we know, can yell at his box and kind of sulk a little bit and take some unnecessary match timeouts to try to kill momentum. I think Alcaraz sees through it, and I think that he ends up advancing. So once again, my thoughts for the actual matches from a side perspective for winning I think Sinner wins. I think Djokovic wins. I think that Medvedev probably wins, but I think those odds are off. I think there's value on Eubanks at plus 400, but I will go with Alcaraz once again to win at around minus 400 in that final matchup. But for the sake of the actual plays that I'm kind of leaning to in each match, I like the over three and a half sets in the Sinner and the Safulin match. I think that Sinner can uh, end up stumbling a little bit. I think he's going to win, but I think that safulin has been good enough to be able to win a set. I think that Djokovic wins in straight sets against Rublev, so I think that Rublev, once again, probably gets smacked by the guy that owns him. And then going into the next day, I got Medvedev and Eubanks over in that one, uh, over three and a half sets and the over in games. And I also will go with the, uh, I guess in theory, Alcaraz minus one and a half sets, but I really don't like much of that. So I don't see much value on that match in general, but that's going to wrap it up for my actual picks for the quarterfinal matches. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks, the official picks of the show. Before we get into any of that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. 
We're also brought to you by Circa Sports. Circa Millions and Circa Survivor are back. $14 million in guaranteed prizes up for grabs. Circa Millions is pretty simple. Five NFL picks against the spread each week. There's a leaderboard, and depending on how well you do, you can make yourself some serious money. On top of that, Circa Survivor is a different but fun way to get in on the NFL action. Pick a different Moneyline winner each week. You cannot use, once again, the same team twice, and whoever's the last team standing or last person standing ends up winning the grand prize, or if most Multiple people do make it to the end of the season. Then you chop whatever the grand prize is. On top of that, you can enter in Vegas, but play from anywhere using a proxy. And Sports Game Podcast will be out there last weekend in August. So stop by and say hi to the gang. CircusSports.com for all the details. CircusSports.com. What would you do if you ended up winning all that money? Possibilities are endless. I'd probably go on vacation. I travel a lot, maybe buy a ticket to the Super Bowl. We'd see. But the point is, it would be a lot of fun to, of course, get in on the action by winning. And for me, the picks that I'll look at for Survivor, there's a lot of potential options. Once again, the season's so far out there. I would fade the Cardinals, just simply put, with Kyler being on the shelf. And we know Arizona's got the lowest win total of any team. I'd probably just fade the Cardinals, play it safe. There's different philosophies when it comes to Survivor, where some people try to save the best teams for last Others try to just get the best teams out of the way because you have more faith in them. I'm more of an option B guy. I'd rather just try to survive as long as possible and worry about the planning after. But I do think taking the commanders in the first game at home against the Cardinals is worth a look because the Cardinals should be a mess. So that would be my thoughts for the week one of Survivor. But once again, get in on the action at Circus Sports, CircusSports.com for all of the details. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Best Ball Mania 4 is here, and Underdog Fantasy is giving away $15 million in prizes. Underdog Pick'em is also another great way to get down your favorite MLB and college baseball player props. So many ways to win over at Underdog, and it's active in so many states. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com. Use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. It's UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the four quarterfinal matches in Wimbledon on the men's side. Now it's time for the actual lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock, I was initially going to go with Eubanks to win a set at minus 155 on DraftKings. However, I found an even better prop. So I'm actually going to go with that one instead. I was doing some digging, and I did find on Bet365, they have total breaks of serve in the match, and they have individual breaks of serve. So Eubanks to record one break on Medvedev service game is minus 163 in the entire match. Him to record one break of serve is minus 163. Give me that. I think that's an insane price. I know Eubanks isn't exactly a great returner, and I know that Medvedev's a pretty good server, but when you're looking at Medvedev's numbers in this event, he has gotten broken a decent amount. He's gotten broken at least one time in each of the first three matches, did not face a break point, against Leshika in the last round. But once again, Leshika was injured, and he also didn't even play a third set because he retired. So Medvedev, in the three full matches he's played in this event, he has gotten broken at least one time. Eubanks, even though he is not the greatest overall returner, still a good player at the net, still crafty with the overall slices from the back end, and still has a lot of power on the forehand side, not to mention Medvedev's tendency to double fault all the time. But I think minus 163 for one break in a three to five set match is insane to me. And I'm going to take the over. And that's a crazy price. I, I think it should be closer to minus 200, 225, to be honest with you. But a 163 for one break of serve in three to five sets. And once again, I do think it's probably going to go to four or five sets. Give me the over and breaks. So my lock for the show is going to be Eubanks 
to record a break of serve. Are Eubanks over half a break at minus 163 on bet 365? And for my dog, contemplating which angle I want to actually take for this, because I kind of know what I want to take or what angle I'm looking for, but I'm not sure if I actually find much, if I found much value for what I actually like. I want something involving Djokovic to beat up on Rublev. And I thought about taking straight sets, but unfortunately, that is still a minus price. So I think what I'm going to do in this one is I think I'm just going to go with a parlay in this one or potentially an alternative number in games. Now, I'm going to go with the parlay. I think my parlay for this one is going to be Djokovic to win in straight sets, which you can find at around minus 140, give or take. And I'm just going to end up parlaying that with Alcaraz Moneyline. I think that even though when you're looking at Rune's recent form, I do acknowledge he's been solid, but it was a little bit fortunate that, or a little bit, he was a little bit fortunate to end up watching Fakina choke in such a good opportunity. And he also had a bit of a war there against Dimitrov. It really does look like Alcaraz is a much better player. And I think because of that, I'm going to take advantage of it. You can find Alcaraz Moneyline at minus 375 offshore. And you can find the under three and a half sets in that Djokovic match at around minus 140. So I do think once again, when you're looking at what could be a pretty decent payout, it's going to be nothing insane for a two pick. But once again, you're looking at minus 375 and you're looking at minus 140. And that two pick parlay does pay out to around plus 117. I'm going to take that. I feel like that's definitely a good, safe way of approaching these two matches, trying to find some way to get plus money on it. So once again, give me Djokovic to win. In, to get, give me uh, the under three and a half sets in the Djokovic match against Rublev and give me the uh, Alcaraz money line of minus 375. And that two pick pays out at plus 117. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. We're back once again for the semis on the men's side. Maybe the women's semis as well. So I'll I'll see how available I am, but that's definitely an option. Either way, though, find me on Twitter, Rice Show Radio. And until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.